Hello, and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week, I'm bringing you no-nonsense, no-BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable, but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Practice Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Andrea Maxim. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about the differences between you know, just graduating and feel like you have to open this big, massive practice versus allowing kind of life to lead you down to get you where you need to go when you're ready. So I brought on Margaret Romero. She's a a nurse practitioner actually in the States, but she is very much on board with functional medicine and naturopathic medicine. And we kind of go through her story in a roundabout way and she talks about kind of how she set everything up but one of the big pieces that i think is such a misconception in our industry is that the successful practitioners are the ones that own the clinic space and have the associates because we think it paints this beautiful picture of well if you own the space you're collecting a hundred percent of all the money and because you have associates You have all this residual income coming into you. And quite honestly, I don't really believe that that's necessarily the case. Nor do I think that you should open up a clinic right as soon as you graduate. Because from at least the people that have reached out to me and spoken to me, they have no idea who they want to attract and what kind of branding they want to have and what kind of naturopath they want to be because they haven't had an opportunity to get their feet wet yet. So it's my opinion to those that are listening is when you graduate, align yourself with other naturopaths who you aspire to be, other naturopaths who you want to mentor you for a couple of months or years so that you can learn the skills from those people that are out, learn the business skills from those people that are managing clinics, and then figure out kind of what naturopath you want to be, who you want to be attracting, where you want to set up permanently because another big problem is is if you keep floating around to all these different places you're going to lose patience every single time and you have to start from scratch every single time so i don't think that you ever have to know exactly who you're going to attract who your ideal patients are what kind of naturopath you want to be right at the beginning so being an associate in the beginning i personally think is the best choice for you but you don't want to just show up in any clinic that's looking for a naturopath it's in your best interest to find a clinic that already has a naturopath there because that experience is invaluable and i can tell you just the short period of time that i worked in a clinic with another naturopath i learned so much about billing and how to prescribe supplements and how often to get patients to come back in and i didn't even know how to do b12 shots at the time and how to make money off of those so aligning yourself with naturopaths that are already doing this or healthcare practitioners that are already doing this is going to be a massive massive piece to your success in the long run then the next step is is do you want to branch out and open up your own space 
Well, I personally believe that that is never something that should be rushed. That is always something that you should kind of evolve into. And when the timing is right, this is when you start to make that move. I'm really, really set against people buying a big, beautiful space and not even having one patient under their belt or not even a hundred patients under their belt. And there's nobody coming in to help pay for all of that empty space that you've been, you're paying monthly for to have. So um, I was recently at the naturopathic college and Jordan Robertson was there and she spoke on this perfectly. And she said, when I bought my space, I just figured out how much it was going to be for me to run it on my own in just the small little quarters that I had. And then as her business grew, as her business acumen grew, and as her patient volume grew, she slowly started to open up another room in her space and another room in her space. And now her basement is being used. And I think that is an appropriate way of doing it. I don't think it has to be an all or nothing approach. Just like I don't think you have to be a clinic owner to be successful. You could be the most successful associate ever and never have to worry about all the extra drama and stress that comes along with running a business. Because I can tell you, being an associate is decades, not decades, it is massively less stressful than being a clinic owner, especially when you have associates. So while yes, they are helping to pay rent and things, they're also depending on you to make them successful, to keep them happy. And if you're having a lot of turnover in your clinic, that's also really bad for business because the patients don't know who to get used to and for how long. So I personally believe in allowing things to evolve. So even with my personal clinic, I had my second treatment room empty for the probably the most part of my ownership of that space. I did not know how to fill that room. I had, excuse me, I had nutritionists come and go. I had a live blood analyst come, but then it was just the distance that was a problem. It wasn't until I invested in an infrared sauna that that room actually started to make me some money. And then over time, I brought in more associates and that allowed me to use that room for other things, but I never pushed it. I didn't advertise for it because I found when I advertised, I always got the wrong people. I just kind of let my feelers out and would present options to people as I met them and said, hey, you know, I happen to have a space. Would you want to check it out? I'm really connecting with you. Maybe we can set something up. And that's really what's evolved to now having people with me for over a year and I'm pretty sure that they're more than happy to stick out with me for a lot longer as well because I've built them into my system. We're working as a team. It's not like I'm the owner and they're the associate. Um, but I allowed that to evolve and it took me about five years to be able to make that happen. So if you are just new graduating and you're thinking, you know, I really want to have a clinic space someday. That's a wonderful, wonderful dream, but definitely take a year or two and work alongside another person in your field to make sure that you get a lot more of the real life skills of what it's like to be in practice and market your business and do all of those things before stepping into the big space. And when you do step into the big space, make sure that the, the business that you've created can pay for that space 100% on its own, that you're not relying on associates to help pay the bills so that you will remain afloat just on your own. And then as you invite people in, it just becomes more of a bonus for you. You don't want to be entering a space where you're 
your success is dependent on other people because I promise you that, that that's not going to turn out very well unless they're in a partnership or some sort of profit sharing. And even then it may not work because if they're not the owner, then they still may not feel like they have all the stakes that you do. So allow these things to kind of happen. Um, so we talk about that in the podcast with Margaret, and we'll get there in just a second. But I just wanted to kind of clarify those misnomers that you can 100% be successful as an associate. You don't need to own a clinic space. And you can 100% be successful as a clinic owner or vice versa. You could be an absolute failure as a clinic owner, but a better associate, or maybe as a clinic owner that works for your entrepreneurial spirit, as opposed to being an associate. Like it's really whatever works for you, but there is no one place that everybody needs to reach in order to be successful in their field. So before we jump on to the pot, uh, to the interview, excuse me, I just want to Take a sec second and just say that this podcast has been, of course, sponsored by my seven day detox program. This is my 100% done for you program where you can absolutely take it as it is with all my protocols, exactly how I run it through with my patients, all of my emails, and just literally set it up by tomorrow. Or you can, of course, rebrand it, tweak it however you want. And that is available on my website at maximizebusiness.ca forward slash seven day detox. So now let's jump on that interview with Margaret Romero. Hello, Margaret. Welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah. So why don't you give everybody kind of a background story on how you got into what you're doing and what makes you, you know, love the job that you're in and this is of course why we brought you on the show <laughs> oh my gosh it's been an extremely long journey I feel like um, so I'm a functional medicine nurse practitioner with a private practice in Manhattan and I also am the host of the sacred medicine podcast so feel like it all started I mean medicine has been in my life for a really long time way back from when I started candy striping as like from like 12 years old. Wow. And I became an EMT and then a surgical assistant, um, ER nurse, and then NP. So it's been a long journey and it really started out. Um, I've been an NP now for 17 years. So it really started out with more of a holistic, holistic medicine, energetic medicine. That was like my thing way back then, though. I wasn't really doing that on patients. It was just something that I was learning. And now I've created, um, I'm not sure if you've gone on my website just recently, but I revamped, rebranded, new logo. Um, and my space is now called FemMed. And it's a, it's a beautiful space in the middle of Manhattan. Um, a it's a sort of a sanctuary for women. And so we deal with women's health, hormones, um, women's sexual health as well. And so, um, I've also now started to incorporate all of my also holistic and energetic medicine into this practice as well as my functional medicine and my IV vitamin therapy. So it's sort of all housed under one roof and, um, that those doors just opened Last Congratulations. Month. Thank you. Thank you. And so it's I moved from um, a space that I was sharing 
And um, it just wasn't working for me anymore. And I didn't feel like I could really grow into that space. Mm-hmm. And it was too small. And having injectables and everything needed to be under lock and key, I just, it just wasn't working for me. So um, I decided to just branch out on my own. And um, it took a long time to find the perfect place. But I finally did. And so signed that lease in October, moved in last month. And so it's looking really, it's coming along really nicely. That is amazing. And I can, and this is kind of going to segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, With regards to somebody who's new, they do not have the capital. They've just graduated from the college. They have all that debt hanging over their head. You know, what do you do? to start a a practice and what are the steps that you would um, encourage our listeners to do when they don't necessarily have the money to get started? Okay. Totally hear you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yes, we all have debt as we coming out of school and, you know, initially when I started, um, so I've lived in the Southwest. I lived in Santa Fe and I've also lived in Boulder, Colorado. And, Um, back then that was at least a good 10 years ago, I opened up a wellness center with two acupuncturists, um, in Santa Fe. And then I did, I was there for several years and then I moved to Boulder where I took over nurse practitioner, um, integrative women's health center. She was retiring. So I took that over. Um, you know, both of these places I didn't do myself. I sort of, I had a sort of, I came together with other people. And obviously with the nurse practitioner that was retiring, she already had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients. Mm-hmm. So I easily just, you know, I just came in and took them all over. Um, neither were easy, but they were much easier than if I were just going to set up FEMED from day one with, with right. nothing. I already have a client base in Manhattan. Um, I have grown that, and um, which allowed me to be able to do this on my own now. I didn't feel like I'd continue, uh, I would need the help of someone else or partner with someone. I did think about sharing another space, but I, I just wanted a place where I felt that I can grow and expand. So I think initially when you're first starting out, either sharing or teaming up with someone or getting some colleagues together and saying, Hey, let's look at a space. And, um, if that's what you really want to do, you can, you don't even need to have a space. If you don't want to, you can do house calls. You can do concierge, um, medicine if you wanted to. I mean, even as an NP, you can go traveling and you can do travel medicine and not have any overhead and just work for somebody. Uh, yeah, just work for someone else. And, but I'm such an entrepreneur that I needed to be able to, run the show (laughs) eventually though right not right away but eventually you wanted to get there so so my next question then is you know a lot of people when they graduate they hear of the big clinics the big multidisciplinary clinics with all these associates and and they think that that is what a successful clinic looks like so what do you what would you say to those people where they're just starting out, they don't even know who they want to treat yet, who they want to attract yet? What would you say about starting a little bit slower and not necessarily jumping into a big massive clinic? You know, I think well, I mean, when I first became an NP, I 
I was hired by Columbia University and that my I was I worked for someone else and I didn't do my own thing at all for many years when I initially started because I really wanted to just learn as much as I could. And then the entrepreneurial spirit just started to come out and I started to branch out a little bit more. But I've always had a um, like some kind of side job as I was building. I definitely um even now, I work urgent care, emergency medicine trained, so I work urgent care, and I know that I'm getting such and such every month and every week, and I'm good with, you know, I'm not stressed out. I think the, the last thing you really want is to do anything alone and on your own without having some kind of side gig mm-hmm. and earning some money on the side. Now, with that being said, Often, um, often you'll hear people say, you know, if you're not all in, you don't really want this to happen. So as we're talking about having, you know, a side job just to make a little bit of money, and I'm just kind of asking this, I'm not saying anything negative or positive about it, but what do you think about that mentality as well? Saying, well, if you're not going all in, if you're not putting a hundred percent of your effort into building your practice then you pro- you always have that kind of safety net. So what do you say about that? Yeah, totally. Okay, so I love this question because um, I definitely have also thought this in my head as well. I'm like, come on, Margaret, you know, you know, if you're either going to be committed to FEMED or you're going to be working this urgent care, which is, you know, they're 12-hour shifts. So I only really work three days a week there. Um and the rest of my time is devoted to FEMET and to like having some type of social life. But I would say that um, if you're committed to saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to work this side job for two years um, or three years while and hustle because there there's some weeks that I work seven days a week and, and I'm okay with that because in my mind, I know that this urgent care job is not a forever job. This is just temporary because I've also been in that space where I've been like, nope, I'm just going to do my business and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then I've been panicking every month, you know, with how am I going to pay my bills? Oh my God, I didn't get patients enough. I mean, you don't want to be in that space, Yeah. but given myself a limit as to how long I'm going to be doing the urgent care. It is not a forever thing. And I've yeah. given myself two years to do that while I'm building. And I think that's really smart. So I use the capital, um, the income, sorry, the income that I generate to pay. I just hired someone to do who's a marketing strategist and SEO expert. So I think it's a smart way to do it because if not, you're like really pinching pennies and then you can't hire people to help you to do your marketing or your social media. I think if you have, but you know, say I'm only going to do this side thing for, and whatever it is that you're comfortable with, two years, three years, um, but definitely give yourself some wiggle room because it'll allow you to grow and you'll be able to afford to do things and afford furniture if you're going to be having your own space or um, hiring a team. And then, so this is going to be my next question that I have for you is, okay, so now we're talking about the money piece of it, right? What is a better thing for me to do? Should I apply for a business loan? Should I get a line of credit? Should I use my own savings? What do you say in that piece? Let's say I want to grow my business or perhaps open up a space or even just getting started. What is your recommendation on that? Okay, I personally, 
Um, because I have the same thing just come up for me because having a commercial space in Manhattan is like giving your left arm and leg. Um, so you needed to put down a lot for security deposit, um, alone. Um, I would say do not dig into your personal savings. Personally, I think that, um, if you're going to be starting up a business or expanding what you already have, you should just be open to opening up a business loan or line of credit. Now, I think either one, I mean, either one works um, and get enough to last you for whatever it is that you need and cushion it a little bit because for the first few months of rent, if you may not be bringing in that many patients. Now, I had another, oh, I lost, I had a question for you and I just lost it and it's starting to come back into my head again. And I think it was around the mentorship piece. So just kind of rewinding back to when you said you worked with somebody for the first couple of years, just because you wanted to learn as much as you possibly could. How much do you think that valued who you are today to do that? To just say, you know what, all I want to do is align myself with somebody great that I can learn from not put a whole ton of effort into like building up my business, so to speak. And then when you felt ready, you did it. Okay. So are you talking about my first NP job? Because that was totally, I mean, I was so, I was, I mean, just coming out of school, I didn't feel like I even knew that much. I learned so much though in that practice. Yes. Um, but I would say that the real mentorship happened when I took over that women's health practice in Colorado. Um, that NP for a full year trained me on hormone therapy and functional mm-hmm. medicine. Like I couldn't have paid enough to have that type of training. So, which totally is what I do today. Like I do so much hormone therapy, um, perimenopause, menopausal women that, um, that was invaluable to me. It was so, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, the point of the question was, was again, just coming back full circle to this idea that when a, a person graduates, they have to open a practice on their own. They have to open a big practice. You know, being an associate isn't successful. This is what some people think that if you're working in somebody else's clinic, then because it's not your own, You know, it's just not as successful, which I completely disagree with. And I guess what I'm trying to tease out of you is kind of what you said. You know, when you first graduate, it's comfortable to say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to work alongside somebody else in their space and kind of figure it out and get a little bit of money going and kind of um, attract my clientele. Then you made the shift to that like amazing turning point clinic that you took over and had that key mentorship. So describe to me that journey too. Like, how do you know when you've kind of tapped out of one space to feel comfortable to move on to the next and then feel comfortable at that point to take on your own clinic space? Mm. That time between my first NP job and me opening up something was the very first thing that I did with the two acupuncturists, the wellness center in Santa Fe was, um, how many years was that? That was about six years. So in that interim, I just worked for other people and I worked urgent care. Um, I did family practice. I did women's health, internal medicine. So I had 
so much training from all of these different places that um, I felt really good when I, you know, I, I had these um, two acupuncturists who approached me about opening up a center. And I felt confident and I wasn't doing it alone. And at this point, I had many years under my belt as well. So now that you're in this space that you've just opened up, it was October, right? Or November? Like just. November. November, November. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me, describe to me what the space um, is. So are there associates that are in there with you or is it just you? It's just me. Okay. So now let's talk about the difference between the stress level and the number of hats you have to wear as a associate versus now a space owner. Because this is the other thing that I really want to talk to you about is they always talk about, well, I'm not getting enough money or, um, you know, it really sucks that they're taking a percentage away because we usually do 60, 40 split for an associate. So it sucks that they're taking 40% of my earnings every time. But now let's actually talk about the difference between being a space owner and all the investment, as you just said, that goes into that versus coming into a space that all the work is essentially done for you and kind of the the mindset change with those things too. So now working solo, I, um, so that you're asking about how many hats I have to wear? Now, yep. <laughs> okay, so I, it's just me. I don't have a receptionist. Um, my vision was to have this um, sort of a, a big open space where I could, it could, the whole space is my office and it's my treatment and it's my IV um, chair and all of these things in one large area. And I actually was able to find it because I wanted my own private bathroom. And you would think that that's easy to find. Mm -hmm. It's really not mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in Manhattan. So um, right now I have, um, all of my staff is, and team are virtual. And so I keep a pretty tight staff and they all have their different functions. So I have uh, my own podcast person that my assistant for that helps me with my podcast stuff. And I have this new strategist person and then everything else is really virtual. And, um, I'm, I'm probably going to have to hire someone else to be doing um, more administrative things and whatnot. So let's talk about that piece now, too. Being a owner of one, so one space is just you, how do we find the team to help us hire out? And I'm really interested in how you're doing this all virtually, too. Okay, yeah, really good question. So I have had virtual assistants in my life for my gosh, um, several years, um, from anything from creating content to, um, copy editing, um, to doing things on Facebook and my social media. So I, I've hired, um, virtual assistants. Now the ones that I have hired in the past were from the Philippines and it, what it didn't matter the time difference, mm -hmm. but now, um, uh, one of them left because she moved, another one left because she had a baby and didn't have the time anymore. And so I have to say it's not easy to find the perfect fit when it mm -hmm. comes to virtual assistants. Um, and there was no, I mean, there's lots of places online that you can find people and hire them. 
I've gone, I've actually um, hired them through referrals or I'll post something on my Facebook page like, hey, I'm looking for yeah. a marketing strategist. Does anybody know anyone? Right. Part of uh, different groups on there and I'll post the question and then I'll get, start getting replies. And then I have to, I contact all those women and then we have, you know, we schedule a call, an interview, we talk, and then I see if, if it's a good fit or not. And then we kind of move forward. And so how um, have you found that that has leveraged your time to start dispensing some of your to-do list onto these virtual assistants? Oh, yeah, huge, huge. Because um, even being able to have um, a schedule of my social media of when and what videos I'm going to be creating. So a lot of what I want to do is going to be really more um, videos and with this new space, I'm going to be able to actually create that in, in the new space before I really couldn't in the mm -hmm. space that I had. And I could have done it at home, but it just, it just, it didn't feel right. And I just wanted to do it from the actual space. So mm -hmm. um, I'll be creating lots more uh, videos and then I'll have the virtual assistants will be able to be editing those and placing them on YouTube and things like that. I'm not that tech savvy, so I do need to hire people. And I also have an IT person and graphic designers that help me with all of my design. And do you find that hiring them, because there's a cost associated, right? Do you find that the cost way, um, uh, sorry, the benefit to having them way outweighs the cost of hiring these people? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know anything about graphic design, like nothing. So, or code or, you know, HTML. Yeah. So I have to, it's, it's the reason why I hustle so much now and why I am like, nope, you're working in this urgent care and it's okay. And there's nothing negative about it because you need help with this and this and this until you're making a certain amount at your, at FemMed. Once that starts to become super profitable, then I will probably not fully, um, I mean, I eventually I want to fully let go of the urgent care, mm -hmm. but um, I have to reach a certain place um, revenue-wise in order sure. to do And then the last point that I want to talk about is now that you've been in, you know, doing this as an NP for this many years, and now, of course, that you're the space owner, so that comes with a whole nother level of stress. What are some of the best tips that you can give the listeners about self-care and how important it is? Because I definitely need to hear it from you because I do not take care of myself very well all the time. <laughs> so self-care is a huge, huge piece in everything that I teach my patients. It's what I talk about on the podcast. It's really ingrained in my life. Um, and it's definitely high on my priority list. So I have, um, I'll, I'll quickly show you this calendar. I just wrote this down because I'm a little old school when it comes to um, creating calendar and I have to visually see it. Um, so this is a calendar that I, just for January and as you can see every single day and it's my schedule of uh, when I'm working urgent care and then when are my days in the city and um, what days are for um, writing and for podcast and for video uh, creating. And in here, I have down um, G for gym, um, because if it's not down, I'm not. I'm never going to go to the gym. Right. 
an M for massage, which is every week, and then S for sauna for my infrared sauna. And so that those three things must happen every single week, and I don't care what's going on in my life. Gym, infrared sauna, and my massage has to happen. And so I already know which day I'm going to be in the city, when I'm going to be home, when am I creating stuff from home or, or working from home, and those are my days of self-care when I can squeeze those in. Or on a weekend that I'm off, I'll do um, sauna and the gym on the same day and then later on massage or on a different day massage. Um, that is always, always, always a part of my life already. So I already have January's calendar down. Um, also planning vacations. Mm -hmm. So I already have my April vacation booked with one of my girlfriends. We're going to Turks and Caicos. Um, so we already have that booked and everything is done with that. And I already have my 2018 vacation time and uh, conference time planned. So I make sure that I'm, for me, self-care and going away is also part of self-care. And so that's super important to me and having some downtime and making sure at least once a week, if not two, I'm going out with a friend for dinner or hanging out with my girlfriends or something. There's like after work type of thing um, that must happen at least once or twice a week. If not, I, I go crazy. <laughs> And how do you um, force yourself to keep those times? Meaning, I find especially in the beginning, or um, money will always outweigh personal care. So my my question is, is how do you say no? This is the day and time that I've scheduled off for going to the gym or getting a massage or doing the infrared sauna. I'm not going to let a patient wants to come in there. I'm not going to let it happen. How do you keep yourself so regimented to say, no, this is what I'm doing. This is why I need to do it because it's very hard to do that. So my days when I work urgent care, I don't do any self care because those are 12 hour shifts. And mm -hmm. by the time I get home, everything's closed. Um, the days that I'm in the city, which are the days that I'm totally open for patients I'm okay with if they say, oh, I, are you still in at 6 o'clock? Um, because I never schedule or, um, my self-care days when I know I'm going to be in urgent care or in Manhattan. So the, those other days are the days that I'm doing it, that I know, okay, nothing comes in between me and that. So I really try to – now, if, you have, if I saw patients in Manhattan five days a week – then the weekends would always have to be the self-care times then. Mm -hmm. And you just hold it, hold to it. Yes. I'm super neurotic about it. <laughs> Do you have any final last words to say for anybody who's listening, whether they're just starting out in a practice or halfway mm. through, or they've been out for decades, what would you say to those people? You know, I really, I'm someone that's a huge visionary and dreamer. And, um, if you asked me a year ago about FemMed, I would have never really thought it was ever going to happen. It was kind of always like a little bit of a dream. And after I created the podcast, it's really what has my podcast. It, it sort of has come to life in the form of FemMed. So if there's something that you absolutely desire and want and dream of, like never let that go and never let the fact that 
you don't have money right now to do it, um, either, you know, embrace the community, embrace, um, having colleagues join you, like don't let money and come in your way of your dream. Because if I had to wait to save, um, every single penny that needed to go into creating this space, FemMed in the city, this, I would have, it would be years from now. And so I did take out, um, a business loan for, for FemMed. And I felt that it, the monthly was fine and totally doable. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's totally doable. Like don't let obstacles or money get in the way or fear. Perfect. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Oh, they can email me at info at margaretromero.com. Um, you can check out my website too, um, and leave me a message through there at margaretromero.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. And there you have it, folks. Another interview in the books. I hope you got a few gold nuggets from that particular interview that you can take away at least perhaps a change in your mindset. Um, I really loved her piece talking about the virtual assistants. I now have two VAs that work for me and I can tell you it is a massive stress off my back when it comes to just saying you do this, you do this, you do this and I still get to do everything else and have a life. Um, I couldn't imagine if I was doing it all on my own. And then don't forget the self-care piece, of course, as she elaborated on. I'm trying to get better with that. I have a very hard time kind of giving myself that time to get away and do those things, except for the gym. The gym is kind of my time away. But with two little ones, it's really hard, especially when I'm watching Brooklyn two days a week. I can't have a massage and bring her with me, but I'm trying. And sometimes life will be that way, and then you just have to get through that and everything is good. So as always, if there's anything that I can do for you, please hop on a call with me. You can reach out to me directly, info at themaximmovement.com, or you can go to my website, maximizebusiness.ca, and click on Work With Me and see the different ways that I can help you take your business to the next level, get you accountable, get you getting shit done, because that's all that I want for you. If you have any topic ideas, questions, comments, always let me know. Leave a review on iTunes for the podcast. But other than that, guys, have a phenomenal day, and I'll see you next time. I'm Andrea Maxim, and I'm out. You guys are killer. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment, and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.